there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast on, I actually know the date today, November 8, 2012. And before we move to everyone else, I would like to point out that my game of the week is not Halo 4. Man, I'm Jason McMaster, and uh, my game of the week is not Halo ODST. Take that, Tom. My name is Rob Simmon. I post as Manreza on the forums, and my game of the week is not Political Machine 2012. Oh, you and me both, Rob. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh. <laughs> let's see. So, uh, interesting that you mentioned Political Machine 2012, uh, because we just had uh, this great instance of the Political Machine last night. Now, now we've made a deal. I think all three of us on this podcast are of similar political leanings. Uh, we do not want to gloat. We know that, uh, you know, there are, what is it, 49% of the popular vote is probably very unhappy with the way things turned out. Fair enough on a national level. Uh, we don't want to alienate any of those folks. Um, but uh, I am in a, I, I was very excited about last night. And McMaster, by the way, excellent work. What, whatever you did out there in Ohio, keep doing it. Ah, uh, yes. I uh, pulled up my uh, bootstraps and, uh, you know, gave it the college try. And, yeah. Very nice. Nice bootstrap. Uh, Thanks. Rob, you are in Maryland, which, as everyone knows, is one of the counties in Virginia. Excellent work out there. Exactly. Where we also uh, legalized gay marriage, which was pretty gratifying. And, and you had to, uh, it was done in a crowd, I noticed. There were, uh, I think, four places where uh, great strides made in same sex marriage rights. Uh, exactly. So, congratulations. We in California, we're not quite that progressive yet. You know, uh-huh. we leave that up to the courts where it belongs. Yeah. Mr. Fancy. There's a long tradition of the courts being ahead of the general public, so there's nothing to be ashamed of, Tom. They're smarter than the rest of us. <laughs> uh, so let's see. I, uh, I had a minor, I don't know if I'd call it a revelation. It's no more a revelation than when you turn over a rock out in the woods and there's, ew, something really gross underneath it. Uh, when I went to vote, I... I think I'm politically savvy enough to where I knew who Jill Stein and Gary Johnson were. You know, I saw their names. They're the uh, the Green Party and Libertarian candidates, respectively. Yep. So I saw their names on the ballot. Easy enough. Then I'm looking down there. I don't know if this is like a national thing or a California thing. Freaking Roseanne Barr's name was on my ballot for the president of the United States. Yeah, she was running uh, green, I thought. No, no, that's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was Jill Stein. She, the Green Party has done a lot of crazy things, but nominating Roseanne Barr, I, I don't even think they would do that. Oh, I can assure you. Green, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It was not a national thing. Well, good. Okay. <laughs> Glad. Well, Roseanne got more than 8,000 votes in Florida. I mean. Hey, now, is, does that put her above or below Pat Buchanan? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about the same. I'm actually happy uh, Gary Johnson got 1.1 some odd million. It's not enough for uh, debate um, representation, but it's more than any other libertarian vote. Well, and you know, it just goes to show that there's plenty of people out there willing to throw away their vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You. <laughs> uh, so, how was y'all's election day, Rob? What was it like for you out there in Maryland? Um, it was. I, I went to the polls on my way to work at like seven fifteen, seven thirty, and walked in the, in the door. A.M. Uh, yes, because I needed to get home and walk the dogs before dark. Um, and I looked at the line and turned right around and came back on the way home. 
So oh, there was oh, okay. It wasn't turned around and right. So you just came back later, right? Yeah, so I came back later. It's, it is literally on the way to work. I drive past the school every single day, so it, it was not a big deal. But I, I did did not expect to see such a huge crowd. So it was definitely a, a high turnout election, which I think is really good. Sure, uh, McMaster, how was it for you? Um, well, see in Ohio, everybody here votes before election day, or also everything in Ohio is basically privatized or. Uh, you know, kind of well-run. Voting never takes long here. It took me maybe five, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it goes well for me, too. I, I live in uh, an area like far north in Los Angeles, and one of the things that I love about voting uh, is seeing the folks, they roll out to man the voting, they're not booths anymore. Actually, there were booths where I was, but the voting, I don't know, terminals, stations, whatever you call them. Uh, I love seeing the folks that they, these, these election workers. Uh, and We call them old people here. We yeah, don't, that, that would be the stereotype. I <laughs> say that, McMaster, but uh, they weren't all old where, where, where I am. Not all of them, but, yeah. there, there were a couple of them, and I found this oddly endearing uh, that looked young, but they looked like uh, and no offense to anyone who does uh, methamphetamines, but they look like they look like <laughs> meth addicts, which is great. I was like, wow, what? You know, I would have normally written you off as like a homeless person, and here you are doing this awesome civic thing that involves you being here all day. Uh, you are an awesome person, whoever you are, and even though you look like I want to buy you a sandwich, <laughs> uh, I just love seeing that 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 cross section of people. Um, I'm I'm happy to report that my poll workers look like a pretty decent cross section of the community. So, well, I think that that you know what, Rob, that that what I've just done is revealed a lot about where I live. So, <laughs> so fair point. Yes. Well, you know, also I I don't think I've ever heard anybody say I, I don't want to offend meth addicts. <laughs> well, not but, it, go ahead, McMaster. Sorry. But that that was a uh, yeah no um. Well, in this day and age of Breaking Bad, you know, meth addicts used to get a lot of bad press, but, you know... Uh, Is it like heroin chic now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you, you look at the guy uh, on Breaking Bad, what's his name? Aaron Paul, uh, who's a good-looking, healthy kid, and he was, he, you know, they, they hire someone like that to play a meth addict instead of someone who looks like a meth addict. So he's the public face of methamphetamine addiction these days. Mm. I also think it might be a good idea not to offend meth addicts in a biker bar. Right, exactly. Depends on where you are. In a gaming podcast, it's probably a little safer. And if you were going to go to my local bar, there's actually a place down the hill from me called the Sundowner Club. Uh, I don't think you want to go down there and uh, start spouting off about meth addicts. So, yeah. Words to live by. Uh, so let's talk. This is a gaming podcast, though. Speaking of gaming podcasts, so uh, let's talk some games. Oh, uh, but you know what? Before we do, uh, Rob, you uh, you've been on the podcast before, so some folks who uh, listen might remember from when you were with McMaster and you talked about work you did with volcanoes. Uh, however, you mentioned to me you've been kept pretty busy lately because of another big natural phenomenon. What has been on your desk lately? Uh, Hurricane Sandy for a solid two weeks. (laughs) So we did pre-storm images, during the storm images, and after the storm images. And uh, it was was pretty interesting because there was a lot of media coverage and our our imagery got picked up all over the place. That's cool. So we Uh, did stuff like... Mm -hmm. um, So uh, one of the cool things we did was an image of the blackout afterwards, 
where you could see just that the very lowest section of Manhattan was just dark, and then starting pretty much at Times Square was business as usual, super bright lights. Um, and then some of the shore areas were also predominantly dark, uh, versus an image taken a month or so earlier where you know it was normal with everything lit up. So that was cool. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been like in a big city like that when it, there's been a prolonged dark out, but I, I remember being in um, in a city after a flood. Uh, and just how eerie it is when the, the power is out walking through the streets. I mean, it makes a great, that, that sort of top-level photo that you work with, Rob. I imagine that looks awesome. But there's something, like, positively post-apocalyptic about walking through a modern city when the power is, is shut down like that. The closest yeah. thing to that I can think of is living uh, in the south, getting hit with a bunch of hurricanes. Because, I mean, some of those things are... So amazingly destructive that there's no animal sounds, you know, roads are gone. It's just kind of right. like weird kind of wasteland. Right. Yeah, right. D.C. in the snow is my closest approximation of that. Mm, that's, you're making that all sound Courier and Ives, Rob. That doesn't sound very post-apocalyptic. <laughs> uh, it, have, you have never been to Washington during a snowstorm. <laughs> that is a good point. I have not, yes. It is a, a lot of panic. But you know what I've seen, Rob? I've seen, like, movies set in Washington, D.C., and there'll be an establishing shot when there's snow on the ground, and that doesn't look too bad. Uh, yeah, taken in a studio or with <laughs> CG or whatever. Oh, it's like in Ohio, you know, if it, like, if it rains, everybody just kind of slams on their brakes. It's, uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's see, here in California, it's been windy lately. Is that dramatic? Oh, my God. Uh, if you're having a Santa Ana in forest fires, it's pretty dramatic. Not that many forest fires. It's been a pretty mild fire season this year. But, uh, you know, you go outside in the wind, like, it'll blow your hair. It's, uh, you know, there leaves. More oh, leaves no. than normal. They get in the yard, and, and the leaf blower guy takes longer to blow them out. I mean, it, you guys don't understand. You don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. You live in L.A. and you have a yard? Uh, yeah, come on. This is in New York. What do you... <laughs> Everybody they're usually postage stamp-sized. Yeah, but it's still a yard. Good point. <laughs> well, well, the thing with uh, where Tom lives, it's not like he lives downtown. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. No, I get... This This place is a leaf trap. Let me tell you guys, it's a nightmare. You don't understand those, what uh, I have to go through. and stuff, too. It's horrible. Yeah, all those deciduous trees dropping their leaves in the fall. There's a few trees that drop leaves. Oh, we get this thing in June where these little, uh, they're called jacaranda trees. They drop these little purple flower things, and those get on your car. Oh, my <sighs> God. How do you Magic. live that? I know. you got to, like, it'll blow off after you drive around for a little bit. But, you know, you get in your car, and it's got purple stuff all over it. You guys don't understand. You don't know how tough we have it. Yeah, the, when yeah, you walk no, out in the morning and your car is covered in green pollen. Purple pollen. I mean, come on. How unsightly is that? Purple. It doesn't match anything. What's, what's up with that? Yeah. Purple and orange. Living in the deep south and then living in the, you know, in snow fun time country, uh, I have no sympathy for the Californians. All right. Well, when you guys get out here and you've got purple jacaranda leaves on your car, don't come crying to me. I'm not going to. I'm not going to sympathize. I'll just be thinking I'll about suck it up. How how many uh, less stinging murderous insects there are? Uh, all right. Well, McMaster. Speaking of stinging insects, because uh, there's some of those like I guess they're like bugs in Halo Four. They're like insects, whatever. Let's talk some video games, shall uh, we? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Rob, do you play video games? Uh, occasionally, when I can. Uh, I know what you've been playing because I see you online a fair amount. Uh, do you play? Let me put it this way, Rob. Do you play video games besides Guild Wars Two? I do. Good. Um, I am a little addicted to Guild Wars 2 at the moment, 
but uh, I think it's starting to wane a little bit. Ah, what's going on that it's waning? Did you hit a level cap? Are you plateauing or something else grabbing your attention? I hit the level cap, um, and it's definitely sort of a sense of to progress more, I need to actually gather a group together and hit some of the final dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels like it's getting a bit more grindy. Uh, and and all, even though it's, it is different mechanics, it just feels like it's beginning to be a bit more of the same. It's time to play an alt, Rob. No, I, I have done that, but it's still... The basic mechanics are still, you know, press a button, dodge, repeat. All right, sounds like you're a naysayer. Why are you a hater? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After, what, 60, 70, 80 hours? <laughs> that's a yeah, pretty good run. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an all right run, I mean, for a hater. But, I mean. <laughs> uh, so uh, then I'm assuming it's not your game. You know, let's do news of the week first, though. Uh, so, McMaster, why don't you start us out? Uh, what do you have as your news story, presumably gaming-related, of the week? Um, THQ stock crashing. Extreme extreme crash. How big of a hit did you take on that, McMaster? I took zero, because <laughs> I, I do not have enough money to invest in anything. But uh, it's just kind of a shame uh, to me, because like I, I'm interested in seeing their... The, the properties they're working on currently, I don't, I don't want to see those go by the wayside, uh, and hopefully everything will work out for the company. But they took a huge hit uh, when they announced that they were um, pushing back just about everything. Did the stock crash first, or did the announcement come first? I'm pretty sure the announcement came first. Whatever, uh, yeah, it's bad news for uh, what were the things that were pushed back? So, Company of Heroes two. Yeah, yep. that's the big one for me. Yeah, same here. I'm uh, also uh, I'm also interested in uh, the South Park RPG because I like. South oh yeah, Park. yeah, that's right. That's that seems to be like their next what they're hoping <laughs> for. That's yeah, that's their next release. Um, yeah, um, but they went from yeah uh, yesterday they went from three dollars to today closing it looks like a dollar sixteen. Ouch! That's a crash. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, and they had already earlier they had. Um, bought stock back in. It's kind of like a reverse split to make the stock value higher right. after, uh, you know, a big hit that they took and um, in uh, 11. And, yeah, it just kind of, uh, yeah, it's not looking good at this point. Um, but I really hope that, you know, everybody affected by that, we can pull through because, I mean, really, you're looking at actually they're being run by a pretty decent uh, guy. You know, you've got uh, Jason... Um, Ruben. Yeah. Ruben, yeah, from uh, Naughty Dog. And uh, they seem to know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it really, anytime you push titles back, it's really not that bad of a thing. If he felt that they weren't going to be that good, you don't want to see, you know, something come out and flop because that just does really, uh, th- that doesn't do good for you at all at any point. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I understand the crash. People are expecting these games to come out within a few months, and South Park itself is pushed back to 2013 at earliest. I mean, 2014. Uh, fiscal. Well, the fiscal year, which starts in, like, March or something. 2013, yeah. But it's at least there. And, you know, we're talking probably at least, I would think, a few months past that. So, I mean, everything got pushed back, and I just kind of, they have nothing they're really putting out that's going to gain them any money, so it was kind of a, a big hit for them. All right, so wait, so I'm I'm a little, uh, let's just say I'm no Nate Silver, so I, I'm, I'm a little slow with this math stuff, but 
Fiscal 2014 starts in March of next year. Yes. For THQ, I think it is that early. Yeah, see, the way uh, all these companies do their books is stupid. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much how our system is set up to – I mean, you know, it's no Enron, but uh, it's a uh, – it's just one of these things where, yeah, everybody has to they, they choose where the fiscal year starts, and it's it's no, anyway, whatever. Okay, then McMaster, can you also explain to me uh, how it works that like the 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 issue month on a magazine? How does that stuff oh, work? God, <laughs> who knows? I okay, don't. About, I've never understood that. How about time zone math? Can you help me with that? Time zone math. I can probably help you with that one. Yeah. Okay. I'll, we'll sit down and go over that later. But uh, all right. So uh, when we think of THQ, though, uh, the properties they've got, of course, uh, we mentioned Company of Heroes, uh, yeah. Relic, South also Park. the um, South Park games. Relic did the Metro. Warhammer. Oh, Metro. That's right. Now, do they still have the Warhammer license? Like, are they still doing Warhammer products? Pretty. Know? I haven't heard that they've lost the Warhammer license, okay. so I assume they still have it. Um, but they haven't really announced anything, you know. I mean, because they, the only company that's really doing anything with the Warhammer license is Relic, and I mean, <clears throat> they've good at, done a good job at it. But I mean, if they're working on Company Heroes too, I'm sure that's where most of their stuff's going. Well, we asked you say that, but those of us who uh, play board games, you know, there, there's other like Warhammer stuff out there. Well, sure. I mean, uh, not. But you're right. Start. You're right though, in terms of video games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, now I'm not talking about like, Fantasy Flight. They have. Like a ridiculous amount of Warhammer stuff, but for, yeah, for video games, nobody else really does anything. So, I mean, including that one action game they released that wasn't that great, Space Marine. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, you say the title, Master, and I'm like, well, wait, what was that called? Oh, it was called Space Marine. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. like good title. Uh, well, of course, we're burying the lead. Uh, you know, when I when I hear that THQ isn't doing well, the the thing that that I get alarmed about is Saints Row. You know, that's I want Volition Saints Rows to uh, to have a, a financially stable home. So that's what my concern is for. More than Company of Heroes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, Rob. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I you were a big RTS geek. Well, so I am a big RTS geek, but you know what, Rob? And you might know this. Company of Heroes One is still. I, I played that the other night with some buddies. That holds up. I kind of feel like sure I does. don't need a Company of Heroes Two the same way that I need a Saints Row Five because I or Four, Three. What are we on? <laughs> Whatever. I need be- the next. Yeah, Four. So I need the next one. The, the last Saints Row, I played the Dickens out of it. I loved it. I could go back and finish a few achievements, and I probably will, and have a great time. But more importantly, I want the next iteration of that in a way that I don't necessarily need the next iteration of. Uh, Sure. Yeah, I can see that, and I don't. I don't imagine that we that it'll. I'd like to think that we'll still see Saints Row Four because we're we know they're working on it. Right. Uh, we know it's based on the next generation of uh, consoles, and that's next year basically. Um, well, McMaster, this must be in uh, you know considering the part of the country you live in and and the sort of the level of entertainment you enjoy. I imagine you must also be alarmed about the uh, will we license. Oh yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a uh, Dark Siders too, our Dark Siders in general. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. If that's people, true. if people like Dark Siders, it, it Dark Siders too didn't I think do as well as they wanted. So that might be the end of Dark Siders. Mm-hmm. All right, so that uh, will we. We won't see the naked men grappling each other anytime soon. Man. Heroes, the Warhammer, Saints Row, and uh, Darksiders are uh, somewhat in doubt. We'll see. We're wishing the best of luck. Way to bring the room down, Jason. 
yeah, nice that's, work. That's what I do. Yeah, I, I take the hard hitting stories. Well, you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna bring the room back up. Actually, uh, more like middle ground. This is kind of a neutral news story. It's in my uh, public a, interest. It, pardon? It's not like a public interest story, like saving kittens and. No, no, no. There's no no cats stranded in trees, or no talking okay. squirrels, or nothing like that, or no surfing pugs. You know, uh, this is uh, this is quite literally uh, a curiosity. Um, this news story, uh, and it is about curiosity, which uh, you know I think of the Mars rover. Uh, by the way, Rob, uh, do you you know w- your work with all the visuals with Hurricane Sandy and whatnot? Do you ever feel upstaged by the the curiosity, like like that's getting all the sexy science press? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I can say that some of that was built in my building. Hey, that's awesome. So I have walked by the labs and looked in, and at you know, caution, flight hardware, do not <laughs> enter without proper authorization. Because that's kind of that's got to be kind of like the sexy rock star of science nerdery. They are, but you know, big national natural disasters also get, gather their fair share of attention. So uh, we get our fair share of good stuff too. Right, right. Uh, I would like to land curiosity in the eye of a hurricane. I just would like to see. Uh, you know what? Not even curiosity. I want to see that sky, screen, sky crane whipping around in the eye of a hurricane. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, one of that these could days. be cool. Yeah. But they did one of the ways they measure hurricanes is they drop uh, drop zones, and so I, sensors on parachutes. Oh, so they kind of already do it. There should be. Yeah. Why, isn't there, why isn't there a movie? Why doesn't Michael Bay do a movie about that? God, oh, who that would, would be think great? That? The Perfect <laughs> yeah. Storm Two. Yes. Or like a, a movie where they chase tornadoes around. And McMaster, don't, I know what you're doing, McMaster. And I'm not oh, gonna... no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I uh, you know, I actually did see one of those, what, what do they call them? Not <sighs> IMAX. Storm chasers? IMAX. Uh, yeah, for uh, like uh, about tornado chasers or whatever. And uh, that was pretty cool. They had like a guy that built an armored car that would uh, drill into the ground somewhat and uh, sit in the eye of a hurricane or tornado for uh, – for filming purposes. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was really, it was really neat. McMaster, why aren't there more video games about tornadoes? That's a good question. I thought, you know, one of the uh, one of the most vivid memories I have of a game uh, that I, you know, I liked, but I didn't like, play as much and like as everybody else was. Uh, God, what was that? Uh, it was a the ripoff spy game. No one, no one rip-off. forever. Yeah, there's but nothing ripoff about that. Well, even a spoof spy game. Right. It's a fantastic uh, game. Yeah. But the uh, but the the trailer park scene when you're in the trailer and fighting ninjas in a tornado. And that is just such a fantastic level a, for that game. Yeah, that is great. That that I'll always remember that. Uh, you guys, I guess, you guys remember when Monolith was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that's one of the games I, I guess I just didn't I hated the stealth parts of it. It kind of killed me. Well, so my, my news of the week, uh, not about any current weather-related stuff, and it's only tangentially re- related to Curiosity uh, because it has the same name. But uh, do you guys know about a game named Curiosity? I don't know how widespread yeah. this is. So you I do know. know. Yeah, so I it's, know about it. I don't know much about it. I know it's Peter Molyneux's thing. And it's not even a game, really. It's a, uh, it's a Curiosity. So it's a free download for uh, – it just came out yesterday for the, uh, the I, uh, for iTunes – the iPad, okay. the iPhone, whatever you have, or the uh, that Google thing, the Android. Master, I think you're a big proponent of those Android things, right? I have both. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you could so you could you could play Curiosity twice. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and what it is, it's just a thing you download, and I uh, and you're supposed to tap at the screen to chip away a, a, a rock surface. And it's a it's an online thing, so people around the world are chipping away at the rock surface. Eventually, they're going to break through the millions of chipping taps that it takes to break into the, the, the center of this deal. And whoever does the last tap gets to see whatever secret video is inside. Uh, we don't know what it is. Molyneux, of course, isn't is it saying. Uh, only one person will get that video. Uh, Peter Molyneux has asked that he... You know, he has said whoever gets this video, he or she may do whatever he or she wants with it, but please don't use it for monetary gain. Um, uh, so it's like there's a, it's like a, who's going to get the lottery ticket, the little golden lottery ticket, and what does it even mean? What, if anything, do you even win? Uh, supposedly there are in-app purchases you can buy to chip away more quickly. Um, I don't actually know if those are active yet. So here's the thing, I downloaded this. Uh, and I was told immediately upon booting it up that I was the 263,417th person. So basically a quarter of a million people have already downloaded this in the first day or so. Uh, however, when I tried to get in there to do my part to chip away at it, I was told uh, I got a message that said error accessing server. So, uh -oh. yeah, I couldn't get online for about an hour. I tried before we recorded today. Uh, so I was unable to do my part. I apologize to the rest of the world uh, because, I, you know, I want to chip in. I, you know, I voted yesterday. I did my part in that process. So I want to do my part in this process as well. And for whatever reason, I, I can't. Uh, well, so I don't know. waiting to let everybody else do, their, do, the, do the work for you. Rob, I'm disappointed that you would have that cynical view of me. Uh, I, I, was, I was willing to. T I, you know what? Just for that, I'm going to try again later. I hope you're happy. You've guilted me into it. Uh, well, you know, it makes me wonder, uh, is, are their servers just slammed? Is there some kind of a problem with it? Uh, he announced this thing back in June, and it was supposed to uh, be out in September. You know, here we are, early November, it just came out. Uh, maybe it's buggy. Maybe it needs to be patched. Maybe they haven't, you know, worked out all the glitches or, or, or whatnot. Um Seems like a very weird game slash activity to take so long to develop, but well, I think he actually to be to be fair, and I, I agree, Rob, but I think he actually does call it a social experiment. Okay, uh, so it, it, that makes me, you know, I, I hear about this, and I my immediate reaction is, oh, Peter, what are you doing this time? But you know, if he's going to be upfront about it and call it a social experiment. I'm like, you know what, fair enough. Uh, I'm curious to see how this turns out. Will it make any money? How long will it take? Um, and, and something like this, by the way, can only work if it can get press. You know, and, and right. Peter Molyneux can get it press. So w what I hope is that at least, you know, whatever video is in there, I hope at least it's something meaningful because I, my whole suspicion is he's just punking us. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what, uh, you know, Peter Molyneux has a fairly dry British sense of humor. No telling what he's going to put in there. Um, and it might be something like, you know, you hear about people winning lottery tickets and they never check the numbers and they don't, I guess this wouldn't happen. Cause when you actually tap the last time, you're probably told, Hey, you just unlocked the video. Do you want to watch it? Um, but I was thinking, what if somebody accidentally like won the video and didn't realize it? Uh, it's like somebody walking around with a lottery ticket, not knowing they hit the numbers. It's like calling somebody with your butt. 
The last tap, somebody isn't aware they make it, and then they, you know, they they never see it, and the video never is revealed. Uh, that could happen. So I'm curious, what would you guys? And I'm going to come back to you later. I'll give you time to think about it. But let's pretend that you were each in charge of a curiosity style social experiment. What would you put on the video in the center? You don't have to answer that now. Just put that in your metaphorical pipes and, and smoke it for a little bit, and we will come back to you at the end of the podcast to find out what we would each put in the, the core, in the center of our curiosity social experiment. Um, all right, so there you go. That's my news of the week. Uh, since I can't be arsed to do my little chipping away, I hope people listening will uh, pull my weight for me. Uh, get in there, chip away. Uh, let me know how it goes. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So that's my news of the week. That leaves you, Rob. What do you have for us? What's what's okay. what's notable for you this week? Um, some little-known website called Quarter to Three mm. gave Halo 4 a 20 <laughs> out of 100 on mm. Metacritic. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think they use that scale over there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've never heard of that site. That was actually one of the things that I find so amusing is so many people coming on to the comments section and saying, I can't believe you gave it a 20 and not even bothering to read the review and seeing that it was really a one out of five or an A if it was Game Shark or whatever other scale. But that Metacritic just sort of assigns a number, you know, just like it's a straight mathematical translation and mm -hmm. not trying to do any calibration or adjustment to the 7 to 9 scale or anything. So in some ways, their aggregate scores are, are just meaningless. Now, you, you say that, so I, I do want to hear more about what, what how you guys think about this. And also, has either of you played Halo by any chance? Should we talk no. about Halo? I haven't played it. I, I would like to in a way, but I only purchase games uh, early if I'm A, super interested, or B, there is a multiplayer component that I'm afraid I might miss out on, and there's I'm not that interested in its special ops stuff. So, so, Rob, have you tried Halo 4 yet? I have played about 10 minutes of Halo Combat Evolved, and oh, okay. no other oh. Halo at all. All right, well, we'll, well skip. So, so, so more to the point, then, of just the, like, the re review culture. Uh I, I do want to talk about this, but I also want to point out that I uh, Metacritic is run by a fellow named Mark Doyle, and I don't know him personally, but when I talked to Metacritic about getting quarter to three listed, he and I had some great talks on the phone. He certainly had, he knew who I was. I was aware of the whole Metacritic process and how aggregates work, and he's this amazingly personable guy. I mean, Metacritic gets a lot of flack for their their weighting system and how it's their own voodoo, And uh, but, but to talk to Mark Doyle, the guy who runs it, uh, it's just one just friendly, personable guy just sort of doing the best he can when the data he is fed. So after the Halo review hit, he actually called me uh, and he said, you know, I, I've, I can imagine you're getting a lot of flack. I'm, I'm getting a, a lot of feedback about this. Uh, you know, a lot of PR people are calling me. I'm getting a lot of angry emails. What I want to know from you, Tom, this is Mark Doyle calling me to ask this. Are you okay with one star being a 20%? Like he wanted to know if I was okay with the way that Metacritic was expressing the one star. Uh, because I presume when they have like an, an A to F scale or uh, I, I don't know what other scales don't readily translate, but, you know, he's tried to work with other sites about how that stuff is translated to the 1 to 100 scale. And I told him, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. And the, the issue to me isn't 
should one star be 20%? The issue to me is should a review site use the entire range of its scale? If you yeah. want to use 1 to 100, that, that's fine if you're using 1 to 100. My problem, and I think the problem with a one star being fed into Metacritic as a 20%, is that most sites do cluster their reviews in that 7 to 9 range. So that those of us who don't do that... Uh, that's where the sticking points come from. And I think that's where a lot of the anger comes from, too, when somebody sees a game that they like and they see a scale that, it, that is beyond their ken. Almost literally, they cannot understand something outside that range being being assigned to a game. Um, right, because most, for most sites, you know, you'd get something like Big Rig Racing or something that would be the 20, and right. anything that's a, actually a real release would be at least a mediocre score and never something that was really abysmal. Right, right. Um, so I, I am curious, though, when you were writing for some of the bigger review sites that do tend to cluster those reviews, would an editor like tell you use only 7 to 9, or was it just part of the culture? So right. is no. it something that, that you wouldn't have done in another context? It is definitely something I would not have done. When, when, you, when I work for other sites... Uh, you, you know, I'm not using my review scale. I'm using their review scale. Right. Uh, so I've always cleared w with an editor, you know, what, what scale should I use? As a matter of fact, that's how I, I wouldn't say got in trouble, but that's one of the reasons that m the, when I reviewed Deus Ex, uh, that, well, I did a review of Deus Ex way back in, what was that, 2000? Uh, and I asked my editor. Wasn't it 2001? How dare you? I know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, uh, way back when Deus Ex came out, uh, I asked my editor, you know, I, I don't like this game. Uh, I, I want to give it a, a negative review. You know, I'm writing the negative review, but should I use the full 1 to 10 scale? And he was like, yeah, sure, absolutely do it. And so I put a three on it, and I sent it in. And the next day I got an email from him saying, I don't, this is, this is too harsh. The people here uh, who have played the game, they like it more than you. We can't stand behind the score. We're not going to run the review. But I remember right. sort of feeling a little betrayed because I'd asked him beforehand, you know, should I use the full scale? And you know what? If I had not given that that rating to Deus Ex, I don't think anybody would remember my review because the people who remember it don't remember the things that I said about it. They just remember, you know, three out of ten. Uh, and and so it's it's just like you said, Rob, with with the Halo review. A lot of people just come from Metacritic and they don't even read the review and they just want to say something angry. And so they've been using the the comment section for that. Um, yeah, there's actually just sort of a lot of different things that I've been thinking about. I have actually sort of skimmed far too many of those comments. Um, and, and one of the things that strikes me is it's actually extremely valuable to read outlier reviews. Yeah. You know, if, if every review says the same thing, then you don't learn anything about whether or not you're going to like a product or not. Um, but if you read something that is extremely negative and you understand that the reason that this person hates it, you're not going to mind or you might even like um, – that that's actually a, a huge advantage rather than it's the greatest game ever with no explanation or whatever. And that, that gets to me like more than the that seven to nine clustering of the ratings, because I ultimately don't care about this number stuff. I find it fascinating. Uh, and a lot of but I don't I don't it's not a big deal to me. To me, I'm more concerned about what do critics have to say about a, a video game. And it's the same way with like a movie or a book or whatever. I want to read what people have to say. I want to read opinions. And, and what bothers me more than any stuff about the ratings is I, I wish there was more diversity of opinions about video games and specifically about these slick, glossy 
big budget blockbusters that play it safe. I mean, sometimes those work for me, but I, why can't we approach those the way that we approach movies, for instance? Um, you know, you look at the range of opinions for movies, and without even talking about dross like the Transformers movies, uh, you know, look at competent big blockbuster movies like the original Pirates of the Caribbean or Avatar or, or Iron Man, for instance. You know, yeah. there's a diversity of opinions about these movies, and the, the commercial success of them is not always in lockstep with the critical success of them. And I just, I, I really feel like that's something that video games are going to have to learn before as a medium they can really grow up, before the way that we talk about them can really become as, as sophisticated as it, as it deserves to be. Um, well, do, do you have any idea of why games haven't started moving into that? Uh, you know what, I don't, yeah, I would have theories. But yeah, McMaster, what, what do you think? Um, I think that when you lose any sort of quality control in favor of basically uh, pushing as much content out as humanly possible, I think that that hurts uh, criticism. And I, I think it, it, you have to look at it a little bit differently than something like the movie industry. If, if someone gets to see a movie a couple of days early, oh, whatever, you know? I mean, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's, what, ten bucks in a couple of hours? But these the, the guys that are starting to review games now uh, and people that are, are newer at it, you know, you give them a free video game, that's like the greatest thing in the world. And they're afraid to break this this kind of feeling of loyalty to the PR people. And I think that hurts a lot, too. But There's definitely, yeah, that codependency between press yep. and PR. I mean, that's, that's certainly part of it. But in a way, McMaster, that... It, there should then be more sort of independent folks talking about video games uh, who are given sort of a platform. Like, I feel very fortunate that we get the traffic we get on quarter to three, and I feel very privileged to have a platform to talk about this sort of thing. But And I'm sure there are more people out there, and I just wish they were more widely read or widely known. I wish that the people who flock to IGN would sort of diversify their their diet of coverage a little bit. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, it's just a very young industry, I, I think. Uh, and it's currently the, the, the sophistication of the PR machine is way better than the independence of the press, uh, at well, this point in the, in the industry's growth. Also too, I think that a lot of people, uh, in the industry realize that people that are reading reviews a lot of time aren't reading them to decide whether or not they want the, they bought the game they're reading them for some sort of justification on they're not stupid they're like oh i bought this game and everybody thinks it's great and i and i think it's great because i spent my money on it you know and it it comes down to people get mad if they think someone is saying that oh my god you're wrong about something you know but that it, it's it's it just gets taken personally but they were doing that with the Halo 4 review before it was even available for sale. Oh, exactly. But that's the thing. They've already purchased it, though. These are people... So it's so the pre-orders. Right, yeah. These are people yeah. that are in the boat. These are people that have put their money down. They're just waiting to pick it up or whatever. So, yeah, all these people are like, it's the greatest game ever. I, there are games... Uh, user reviews on Metacritic start months before games are released. Like, this game, is, it looks awesome. I'm giving it a 10. Yeah, it, that's true. It's, it's just, it doesn't matter. It's all that people, 
they want to be a part of something and they want to be uh, justified in their like of something. And so game reviews are just this big way for people to go, like, I'm at work and I really wish I was playing this game. I'll go read some reviews about it to tell me how great it is. And then they, they see somebody like, you know, Tom going, well, you know, this game is you know, basically like getting cancer or whatever, and uh, which uh, I don't know if that's a direct quote, but I'm saying it's, that. <laughs> it's not far off. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, and then they get like really freaking mad. They're like, oh God, I'm at work or I'm at school or whatever. How could I tell this guy he's a total fag? Oh, right, I'm on the internet. I could just type in all caps, you're a total fag. Well, you so know, McMaster's, to hear you describe that reminds me a lot of the culture of kind of like platform wars. You know, like people sure. who have a Sony, who are at, who are one, or Sony, who have a PlayStation, who, uh, you know, they want to use that as this self-identification against people who have a 360, and then there's the stodgy old PC gamers. There's this weird built-in division in gaming culture that I think gets, uh, comes to the forefront a lot. Uh, and that doesn't really happen with movies or, or TV necessarily, right. I think. Yeah, it I mean, definitely. Definitely was in these. I don't know. Tom, have you actually read a lot of the feedback? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I uh, every every morning, like when I get up and I'm thinking, oh, okay, what I'm going to put on the page today, I look over Discus and I see everything that's been posted. So, yeah, I've seen every single message. Uh, what's more, a lot of the messages, there's something built into Discus where if you use certain words or you put in certain links or there's some kind of protocol in Discus where it will – hold certain types of posts, and you can imagine what these are, in a little pending area. Right, uh, and so that you get accused of censoring. Right, right, exactly. And I don't want to do that because, partly, I, I really feel that these uh, kinds of posts, they speak for themselves, and I, I feel that this is an important part of realizing how awful this is and how it needs to change is just letting these people speak up. I mean, give these people enough rope. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's a, it get, you know, they're trying to just lash out and be offensive and, and you know what? Let air that stuff. So I, I get up and I go into that little pending thing and it's, it's kind of like cleaning out the filter in a pool or something. It's sort of like opening the lid, like, oh, let's see what's in here today. Oh, God. <laughs> it's that kind of reaction. Uh, so I've been diligently scraping everything that's caught in that and just putting pushing it through. Uh, now, there are a few folks that have been trying to comment in other uh, on other posts, and you can see their IP address. Like, they, they'll use different names, which is kind of cute because – you know, their IP address is clearly listed by what they write. And they've been uh, doing these little, uh, almost like these little one-act plays in other in other posts where they'll say... I noticed that. Yeah, they'll say, you're horrible, This, you know, or your Halo review sucks. And then afterwards they'll say, these reviews are bothering me. I'm not coming back here. And they'll, they'll sort and of act And then they come out. back. Well, well they're, they're acting out a little arc. Like they're wanting to put little offensive posts, and then they're wanting to react to those offensive posts as a way of saying, this site sucks, I'm not coming back. And yeah, exactly, and they have come back since originally posting. So I have been doing a little bit of clearing out in unrelated uh, comments sections. But as far as the Halo 4 comments section, you know what? Write what you want. You know, speak for... I want you to be able to speak for yourself. I want your comments. If, if that's what you want to say, if that's how you want to portray the people who want to defend Halo, you know what? Knock yourself out. Yeah, and I, you, you had mentioned the, the Sony versus Microsoft uh, mm -hmm. faction. <laughs> uh, little do they know that, of course, you're a PC partisan. Um, <laughs> of course. But the other thing that I... I, I a long time ago. <laughs> 
the other thing I noticed is that there there's a Halo versus Call of Duty axis as well that has yes. shown up in those comments, and and that actually really kind of shocked me. Not shocked, shocked, but surprised. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like you're right. That is that's this whole kind of like subculture. It's almost like a like a, a Tea Partier versus religious right there. There's this weird sub faction war going on in this thing that goes across the platform identification. Uh, isn't isn't it? Yeah. The Chevy versus Ford. There you go. Exactly. Way better. Yeah. Way better foot. And yeah, it's it's just silly. Everybody just gets all upset about little things. Like, oh my God, if it, it, it's really just a, a a challenge to the justification of their purchase. So. Well, I did see uh, there was a site called uh, Games on Net, and the the URL for that is just games.on.net, and they put up a little uh, uh, graphic, a visual, uh, a pasted-together graphic, uh, and the the title was uh, Halo 4 Shows Why Review Scores Need to Go. And it was just uh, clippings, basically, from comment sections on Halo 4 reviews. And if you look down this graphic you very quickly start to see a bunch of little blue clippings. <laughs> you can very clearly, and the thing almost gets swallowed up in blue, and that's the background color at quarter to three. You can see that, that almost more than half of their clippings there are from quarter to three. You know, you recognize the font, you recognize the background color, uh, and they're just highlighting just inane things that have been said in response to Halo 4 reviews. Um, nice. And while I thought that was a funny uh, infographic and it was kind of an amusing read, uh, I disagree with the basic premise that review scores need to go. I like review scores. I, I am even supportive of the idea of aggregates. Um, I am fascinated by Metacritic and games rankings. Uh, I love that stuff. I don't think review scores needs to, need to go. I think what needs to happen is that this whole clustering of review scores – is that the people who cluster around the seven to nine scale need to get over that? You know, I, yeah. I just think that's ridiculous. There's this school of thought that if you've come far enough to put together a budget to make a game, to get released, to get on the shelves or on Steam or whatever, you deserve seven points. I think that that's a fundamentally flawed way to approach it. A big budget, hugely uh, hyped game can get a one star review, can get a 10%. A review score should only reflect how the reviewer feels about the game, what he thinks of it. It is not a product to be weighed by the points for graphics and sound and fun factor. You know, it is not a freaking toaster. It is a work of entertainment, and your review is your opinion on that work of entertainment, and it's okay to hate it. Uh, and that's yeah, that's the thing too. Is like you know, if that were the case, then Waterworld would be one of the greatest movies ever ever filmed. Um, McMaster, I believe Gene Triplehorn was naked in that movie, and therefore, it is one of the greatest movies ever made. <sighs> I guess. I mean, if you, I guess you have fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> so is that available on Netflix? Because maybe I should check it out. Well, you guys can borrow my uh, Blu-ray copy if you want. Oh yeah, but I'm nice. Blu-ray. Yeah, of course. Where's your? Co- can I borrow your copy of The Postman? <laughs> Uh, that is maybe not, I don't know, what is the selling point of The Postman, McMaster? Post-apocalyptic and Kevin Costner rides a horse around? It's like for Fallout fans, they would love that, right? Oh yeah, sure, Uh, Postman always delivers or whatever, so I mean, that sounds great. (laughs) Well, it's Uh, based on a David Brin novel, and so that's something to recommend it at least. Whoa, look at Mr. Highfalutin Literary Guy here on our podcast. Yeah, genre fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see, as far as I can go with Jean, uh, let's see, Neville Shoot on the beach. There you go. That's yep. as obscure as I can get. 
That's not very obscure. I read that is in it not, eighth grade for class, I think. Oh, it's man. It's like required reading. Oh, that's just low. Well, how that, about I, movies, though? You can throw out Boy and His Dog. There you go. Well, no, no, McMaster, you got, we were getting all literary and highfalutin. <sighs> you know, the well, best thing to come up with, Rob dismisses as eighth grade fodder. <laughs> no, it's part of the canon. That's not eighth grade fodder. That's that wasn't. I read it in eighth grade as trash. That's it is something that was presented oh. as literature. Oh, like a classic. Okay, good. good. Yes. Okay. I, I thought you were sort of dismissing it as that's for kids. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Good. All right, McMaster, what's your uh, – now your turn. What, what, He's give us an example of – no, no, an example oh. of, of a post-apocalyptic book. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I can get boring, I guess. The Halo um, novels don't count, by the way. The Road. Jason, Jason <laughs> don't tell Tom, but A Canticle for Leibowitz. All right, A Canticle for Leibowitz. Um, that's about the chick who takes pictures of famous people? No. <laughs> no, you fool. <laughs> By the way, Master did, by the way, just poem both of us, Rob, by bringing up a Cormac McCarthy novel, The Road. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, that could have, that was, I mean, it was just kind of boring. Though, so, uh, Whoa, wait, are you talking about The Road? No, I'm talking about the choice of it. Uh, oh, oh because right. Because it is kind a, of like... It, that was an Oprah book of the week, I believe, McMaster. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it feel, it, it's a feel-good book. Uh, no, it's a... Uh, I'm it's sure, really, based on... No Country for Old Men, I'm sure it's a feel-good book. Oh, yeah. No, it's a little eerier than No Country for Old Men. Uh, but, wow. uh, yeah, the uh, no, it's, it's just Cormac McCarthy's a big deal. So yeah, I'm sure he's of... no David Brin. No, sure, uh, yeah. Me All right, too. so there's our, our news of the week, a little Halo 4 action, a little uh, curiosity, a little THQ. Let's get down to brass tacks, gentlemen. Let's talk what we've been playing, our games of the week, uh, you know what? I'll start us out because I'm a little uh, sheepish about picking this. Um, I feel like I'm going to lose some uh, cred here. Uh, but I have been playing a lot of this partly because there is, like, no barrier. Like, you just sit down and you play this. It's so easy to not just play this but to fall into it. You know, it's like I go back into Guild Wars and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to spend an hour. I'm going to have to check my inventory. I've got to remember what these skills do. You know, there's a little bit of that getting back into the game. This game right here, it's just like falling into a uh, pile of feathers. Um, And I also have not liked this series for the most part for a while. And I have not been happy with this developer's work for a while. But. Uh, Lo and behold, holy cats, I so am enjoying Need for Speed Most Wanted. Now, it is, to be fair, it's a brain-dead arcade racer. You know, the the driving model is basically you just steering a super-fast rocket, and you jink around traffic every now and then. And sometimes, sometimes, very, very rarely, you might on occasion possibly want to brake. But for the most part, no, just just, just tear away uh, down the road. Um, but what makes it work for me is uh, Criterion, and they did an open-world game called Burnout Paradise, which yeah. had some cool ideas but also had some really clunky stuff. Um, for instance, if you would do a race, you couldn't just retry it. You'd have to drive that's back, and I appreciated some of what the they worst part of that game. That's what absolutely killed it for me. I did not want to have to pull back up to the starting line every freaking time I lost a race. Well, they also didn't in Burnout Paradise. They didn't really have this sense for how to populate an open world with interesting stuff. And interesting is such a weak term. With, with, with things to do. With reasons to drive different cars in different places. And, and also, that, 
Okay. Oh, sorry. No, 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 I was going to say, you know, if it says burnout on it, it needs to have a crash mode. That's all I'm going to say to you. And, you know, they did McMaster, but it was oddly, like, you had to, like, pick a, a segment of road yeah. and go through the menu. Like, there was something in there, but it was it, it was almost impossible to find. And it it, uh, it was just, it was almost, like, hidden. Like, they were they were ashamed of it, or they, they stuck it in there where you could, didn't have to play it. It was really stripped down. Like, I love the older ones just because, you know, you could do your weird, like, move, you know, moving the car beyond the crash, et cetera, right. et cetera, and doing all the weird setups and all that. And then this was just like, hey, it's a stretch of road. You should crash into as many people as you can. And that was basically it. It's kind of let down. And, well, the thing is, too, they were – oh, go ahead, Rob. I actually did play Burnout Paradise, but it was long enough ago and just basically made no impression on me whatsoever. It, it was pretty forgettable, I, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, but now a lot of people liked it. It had its def- defenders, and for me the problem was, uh, and and I find that they did exactly the right thing with Need for Speed Most Wanted. But the problem was, by calling it a burnout game, they were constantly referring back to the first game, which was uh, this work of almost genius for how it was built around wrecking the cars and. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it highlighted that. You know, it had modes where your whole point was to wreck the car, and they progressively became just racing games. So by not calling Need for Speed Most Wanted a burnout, you know, they don't have that baggage of this is a great game about wrecking cars. Instead, it's it's clear, it's upfront about, you know what, this is just arcade racing. And because the last few needs for speed, um, and I'm not ex- I'm not including the shift games, which are like in a category of their own. Uh, but the last few needs for speed, like uh, Hot Pursuit and the Run, were just these just awful, unimaginative, just go straight down this long ribbon. And they were done by EA's uh, Black Box, I think is what it's called. It was a, a studio in Vancouver that they had. Uh, th- they were just so completely forgettable. Um, so what what they've done with Most Wanted is they've taken that open world that Criterion tried to do in Paradise, and they've just given you so many activities that are based on two things. First of all, the map, and everybody knows what that's like. You know, you you drive around in this city, you are looking for security gates to knock down because there's cars that you can collect behind them. And there's no money here, by the way. You just find a car and it's yours. Uh, there's, there's great uh, social competitive gaming stuff built into the open world. You know, you see all these annoying product placement billboards, and they all have the names of EA Studios on them, like Vicious Games or BioWare or just EA. And and you see those billboards, and you are enraged at the in-game advertising, so you ram them. And the thing is, after you ram a billboard, it gauges you based on things like the speed when you hit it, or some billboards are based on the distance you jump after going through the billboard. Whatever the, the criteria is, if you get the top spot on that billboard. The billboard's gone forever. The product placement, gone forever. And in place of it is the gamer tag, the little avatar, not the avatar, but the little icon of the account who is at the top of that leaderboard. So I have been driving around this city, putting my little uh, gamer tag avatar, which was a little Darwinian, uh, on as many billboards as I can get it on. And there's this great visual reminder of, yeah, that is mine. I earned that. I beat everybody else on my friends list. And now I've got my name up on that billboard and my, my picture. Um, Does that carry across multiplayer at all? So like the oh, one absolutely. who has the highest jump or the fastest crash gets to keep the the billboard? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, That's we awesome. Have, there's a there's a fella uh, on my friends list who's a, a regular uh, 
on, on quarter to three named Jared HK. The guy is really, really good at shooters, so I need to defriend him because he's constantly – actually, no, because he's great to group with. Uh, but he's he's been a thorn in my side in Need for Speed Most Wanted because I've seen his weird little demon face gamer tag all over the billboards. And, and even more annoying than the product placement, I'm like, oh, there's Jared HK's avatar. I need to go get that billboard and put my Darwinian on it. Uh, so, so yeah, so it's that that's like in the open world that, you know, the usual collecting as well as the social competitive stuff is in there. Um, but but more to the point, they do a really cool thing in terms of giving you things to do and places to go with each individual car has its own series of races. You know, there's no campaign mode like Forza where, OK, I'm going to do this race and I'm going to do this car in this race. Uh, instead, each car just has a checklist of six races. These are the six races you do with this car. Each time you get, you know, when you do the race, you earn some experience points. But if you get first or second place, you earn an upgrade for that car. So as you're collecting cars, you are doing races to improve that car. Instead of there being a money sink, there's just a, a, a sort of a time and skill sink. You know, how good do I want to get with this car? How, how much do I want to win this race to earn the lighter body or the better nitro or the grippier tires? Um, so I love that. You know, I've got a crappy little uh, Honda that I can drive around and advance, and that's just as compelling as a fancy Lamborghini or something. Um, so a couple of questions. Uh-huh. Um, wheel or controller? You know what? I don't. I have a wheel that I use like for Horizon, but I don't use it. I don't think it would work well in Need for Speed Most Wanted for a couple of reasons. Uh, because the driving is more like just taking a rocket down a road, there's a lot of quick jinking you want to do. It's, it's built for that rather than sort of smooth, gradual turning like Forza. Uh, but furthermore, a lot of the... Uh, I made a remark about not having to brake. You do frequently want to hit your power brake to do slides because uh, a lot of the uh, filling up your turbo bar is based on things like sliding or catching air. So it's like burnout in that way then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, you can tell this is clearly a sort of spiritual uh, successor to the burnout games, what they became. But so a lot of the times you want a button right underneath your thumb, and I know of very few wheels that do that well. Uh, so, so yeah, so Rob, I would say stick with the controller. Okay. And my next question was just going to be, have you played Horizon, and, and how did the two compare? Well, the, you know what? It's, that's a great question, because they're both attempting this open-world thing. Uh, and, for instance, some of the features are the same. Both in Horizon and Need for Speed Most Wanted, there are speed cameras, and they're just points where when you drive through them, it measures your speed, and it puts you on a leaderboard with all of your friends. Uh, so part of the gameplay is, oh, there's a speed camera. I'm going to get a running start. I'm going to get a really fast car, and I'm going to knock Jason McMaster's score off of the top. Uh, so uh, they, they do similar things, but ultimately I feel that uh, Forza has much more growing pains to go through in terms of translating that kind of driving into an open world. Uh, Criterion worked out a lot of those growing pains in Burnout Paradise, and they've just it's much smoother, it's much uh, better, more accommodating. There are more things to do and better reasons to do them in Most Wanted than there are in uh, Forza Horizon. Yeah, because I, I just actually got a copy of Horizon on Monday and haven't ah. put much time into it at all. Um, but one of the things that struck me is that all of the races are, are pretty much on these straight ribbons of road with 
guardrails on either side, um, which seems even more constrained than a track in Forza 4 or, an, or any other more serious racing game, which is ironic because, of course, it's an open-world game, but it seems like it actually funnels you more yeah, yeah. than it does in, in some of the other games in the series. Um, but I love the environment. You know, I, I think the, the scenery is really spectacular, uh, but otherwise it's been pretty lukewarm for me. Forza 4, that, that definitely, uh, that, that sort of um, I- idyllic pastoral look in so much of Forza 4 is a huge selling point because the uh, although the graphics are really nice and most wanted, the, the city is about as dishwater dull as you could get. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and part of the thing is uh, I, I think the best type of open world, the, the bar none, the best open world racing game I feel you can play is uh, Midnight Club Los Angeles, partly because of Rockstar, uh, they know how to do an open world and give it personality, give it a sense of place, uh, and they've done that with their Los Angeles in Midnight Club Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, the most wanted city, I think it's called Fairfield or, or whatever. Uh, there's I, like I can't I, I can't identify a neighborhood or you get out of the city and you're in a countryside. It just has no personality. It just looks generic, like this kind of renderware generic city racing game whereas at least forza has these really cool vistas uh you know they've got a a a cool lighting model i think uh yeah forza is a real good looking game in comparison to most wanted Um, so as a resident of uh, los angeles do you think that midnight club actually nails la as real la or sort of as a like iconic movie la both, both. I mean, it's not real nice. L.A. in the sense that they, you know, the distances aren't real, but you can see cool things. Like if I'm in West Hollywood, I know if I drive south and sort of angle over west long enough, I'm going to hit like South Central, which they added it an add-on. So there's this cool, and I know that, you know, you can drive over the Santa Monica Mountains and you're in that strip of the 101 and the valley. And you see the Getty? You know, the I Getty think, Museum? I don't think the Getty is in there, unfortunately. Oh, that's tragic. Uh, the thing is, they have to compress it down, and, and they are mainly doing a Hollywoodized version. But as someone who lives here and has to drive around in L.A., I respect that, you know, they, they really nailed also just, you know, like the storefronts and stuff. And that stretch of sunset. I mean, that just, you know immediately where you are if you live in L.A. You know immediately, oh, this is the kind of area they're trying to duplicate here. Um, I, you just can't, you can't go wrong with Midnight Club L.A. I don't, I, the thing is, the multiplayer, by the way, in uh in um, Most Wanted, way better than in Forza. Uh, Forza's got, you know, they do some cool things with ghosts and with multiplayer matches, but the, the, the open-world multiplayer stuff in Most Wanted is excellent. And it reminds me of the open-world multiplayer in Driver, Ubisoft's driving game, also excellent. But the thing is, before those two games, Midnight Club Los Angeles had all that stuff. You could go in an open world and just drive around with your friends. You could host different events. They had crazy, like, capture the flag and tag games and cat and mouse things and, and make your own races. I mean, what, it, it just it, it, is, it is astonishing to me that nobody gives more props to Midnight Club LA for doing things that EA and Ubisoft and, and Microsoft are only now starting to do with multiplayer racing. Uh I wonder if that's because Rockstar is is in the open world, you know, shooter, open world gangster game. Yeah, I, I think they definitely, you know, that those are the products that they push. You know, if Midnight Club LA doesn't do well, they're not going to necessarily push that as hard. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, or even that reviewers are going to look at it as, you know, not really their main line of games. Right. Right. And yeah. and judge you harshly for trying to step out of that. Yeah. 
But you know what? It, it still holds up. It still looks great. I still have it. They have amazing DLC. You know, that's the thing, too, is you, you look at the, the, the kind of DLC released for most racing games. It's like, oh, have these three cars. You know, like cars in Forza? Holy cats, I could not care less. Forza is so freaking whorish with throwing cars at me. I don't care. I don't want more cars. I'm not going to pay 800 Microsoft bucks for three new cars. Um, but wow. you look at the uh, McMath, McMath takes on my cards. I have too many in Forza already. <laughs> but you look it at will, the, the DLC they do for uh, they they will sell you cars in in uh, in Midnight Club LA. But their big DLC pack, uh, which adds South Central, is every bit as good as that awesome Undead Nightmares for uh, Red Dead Redemption. I mean, I sort of feel like when Rockstar does DLC right, they upstage everyone else. Uh, and that's the case with Midnight Club LA, by the way. Yeah, one of the frustrating things about the the huge number of cars in Forza is that aside from the sheet metal, you know, mm-hmm. they all drive pretty much the same. There's a rear wheel drive model, there's a front wheel drive model, and an all wheel drive model, as far as I can tell. And they don't actually feel at all like the real cars. Well, it's definitely the, the Forza has this unenviable situation of trying to appeal to the simmer gearhead types as well as arcade drivers, and I feel like Horizons. They've kind of given up on that, and they're just going to be like, okay, you can play it as an arcade racer. Because uh, I feel like they never really were serious about being super simmy with their driving model. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you there. And, and by the way, that's definitely part of uh, uh, Most Wanted. You know, you, you upgrade a car, and like an upgraded Nissan is really not that different from a base-level Lamborghini. You know, you know it's kind of like whatever. I'm, I'm basically driving it because of the skin. You know, I like the way that it looks. Uh, so, uh, so you you, uh, you picked up Forza Four, and you say you've just started out. Uh, Forza Horizon, yeah. Forza Horizon, um, right, right. I'm sorry. As I said, maybe an hour or two. Um, you know, and aside from what I've already said about the setting, um, the cutscenes are just so horrifically <laughs> bad. <laughs> I just I do not know where they're going with that. Well, now Rob, come on. The guy doesn't talk, so that you can imagine you are him. You put yourself in his shoes. That's you in the game, Rob. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's not a game I want to be in. Come on, the, the little the the event coordinator, the little hot flirty chick. She's like into you. Oh. Come on, isn't it? Doesn't that empower she's you? She's into all the boys that are. No, nice. just you, just the mute protagonist. She likes you. With the five o'clock shadow, uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So I have an important question for you, Rob. Uh, wheel or gamepad controller? I actually have the wireless, like sort of motion control wheel for Forza. Wait, what motion control? Well, there it's it's the um it's just like uh, the tilt sensor on your iPad, but it, it's shaped like a wheel, and it's, yeah. it came out at the same time that Forza Four did, um, last year, and because I I have a wheel for my PC, my PlayStation, but it won't work with the Xbox. I can't really justify buying another wheel just to play Forza on the Xbox. So I got the the cheaper alternative, and it's it's decent. I think it's better than a controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit more immersive, um, and surprisingly decent control wise. Right. You know. Well, I can't stand playing like Forza. Anything that's remotely serious, and, and Forza definitely qualifies as remotely serious. I, I just really find it frustrating playing with a gamepad. You know, if it's something where I want to steer around a corner, that whole click, 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 click. You know, like tapping the stick over to gradually turn. That that just oh, drives awful. me crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. just. Um, I I have um, 
Gran Turismo f- five, mm-hmm. and I still haven't. I have nowhere nowhere to put my wheel in front of the TV. Um, so I've tried it with a gamepad, and it is just such an awful experience. Yeah. Yeah. McMaster, wheel or gamepad? Um, I have both, but I'd probably use a gamepad. Ah. There's also the whole, you know, I mentioned like getting back into Guild Wars after you've been away for a couple of days and having to relearn the thing. There's a there's a there's a learning curve when you get back into a wheel and the whole setting it up and uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. A lot of times if you just and that's that you know what that's another thing that I really like about Most Wanted is I'm just gonna as, as a palate cleanser after playing some Assassin's Creed or whatever I'm just gonna do a few brainless races and I don't have to roll out a wheel and it's just as gratifying with a gamepad. Uh, so yeah. All right, so there you go. I am now, uh, I've lost all my hardcore driving game cred, uh, and I'm now playing Arcade Racers by Criterion. So, McMaster, then what would be your game of the week, if it's not Uh, Halo ODST? uh, I'm going to cheat and say Assassin's Creed 3 again, but I'm going to use the multiplayer. They're like two separate games. They're two discs. Two discs, that's right. It's a separate disc. You know what? There you go. That's the rule. If it requires putting in a different disc, it's a different game. There you have it. So do you I think mean, that's, that's actually a selling point? Do do people buy Assassin's Creed for the multiplayer? They should. They it's should. Actually, <laughs> good, it's, good answer. It's pretty good. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually... I, I really liked the initial multiplayer, and they've done a lot of uh, pretty cool changes to it. Um, Tom and I have played uh, a good bit. Uh, I mean, a good bit saying I'm level 11. You're what, 12 or 13? I think 13. I beg your pardon. That's right. There you have it. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we um, we've been checking out the different modes, and uh, you know, the the Elder Assassin's Creed had this kind of mode where you're stalking each other, trying not to get killed, uh, that sort of thing, and that is still there, and uh, it's still a pretty good time. Um, but they've added. Uh, this one thing called. Wait, real quick. I just want to. I just want to stop you real quick there, McMaster. Uh, just to interrupt briefly. Uh, the thing about the Assassin's Creed multiplayer, if you haven't played it before, and, and Rob, you're right to ask, is this a selling point? Because I wonder the same thing. There's nothing like this. I mean, you can look at other games like The Ship um, or Bloody Good Time. Uh, to sort of see the model for this kind of gameplay. But if you haven't played those things, and if you just like play shooters, and you've maybe played the, I guess there was a Mercenaries versus Spies mode in one of the, uh, not Metal Gear, what's that? Oh, it's Splinter Cell games. Uh, There's really nothing quite like what Ubisoft has done with Assassin's Creed. So if you haven't played it, if you don't know it, McMaster, can you sort of briefly explain what's the base experience like? Um, the base experience is pretty different. So uh, you start the game and you choose a character, and uh, there's uh, multiple characters to choose from. They all have basically kind of the same abilities. Now, they, in this version, they've updated it. You have a bunch of different skill sets, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the base idea is that you have this map, and it's, it's filled with lookalikes for almost every character that's chosen and and a few, well, for every character that's chosen, plus a few extra. There's a crowd. The the maps all have, like, crowds wandering around of of AI-controlled characters. And uh, you have kind of like a circle at the bottom of the screen, and if it's a light color, that means that you cannot, uh, you do not have a visual 
uh, a visual sight or a direct sight to your target. But if it's like neon lit up dark, then you you have direct sight to your target. And it kind of shows you which direction they're in, and it fills up the closer you get to that target. So you don't know exactly who it is, but you have a good idea when you get close to them. Uh, And they can often tell you're coming, they'll be hiding, uh, and it uses all of the Assassin's Creed-like game mechanics to do this. So you have the haystacks, you you can climb on the rooftops, you can wander through crowds, you can do all those things. But it's kind of a giant game of hide and seek with uh, with knives and guns. Well, because so I mean, what, uh, just real quick, because uh, another important factor, McMaster. In addition to looking for your target, there was someone you are someone else's target. There's kind of this round robin of I'm trying to kill McMaster. McMaster's trying to kill Rob. Rob is trying to kill me. Uh, and and because there are, it goes up to eight players. It's never quite that simple, and you can have multiple targets on one person. Uh, right. Most of the game modes will adjust, where if you're doing well, you'll get more people targeting you. So it's cat and mouse and cat, like it is the sort of right. the gameplay. And so uh, it's symmetric. It's not like one person has one role and then the other seven correct. people are, are victims. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now and that's just the basic multiplayer, though. That's that's none of the newer modes. So, McMaster, you were starting to say what the the newer stuff is that they added in Assassin's Creed 3. Uh, Tell us a bit about that. There's quite a bit of customization before we get to the different modes. Oh, God, that is so silly. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's like, it's Tom Bane. It's something that Tom will sit around and obsess over. Shut up. Um, so you know, yeah. Master, I am so about to spend points to unlock the eyeshadow for the uh, red-headed uh, Lady Maverick. I'm going to have blue eyeshadow, and it's only going to cost me 500 Abstergo points. What do you think of that? I think that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. But you, yeah, it, it's absurd the uh, customization you can do. Yeah, different eyeshadows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But <clears throat> to the actual gameplay extent. You can purchase different abilities at different levels. And I haven't really looked into how this works as much. I don't know, Tom, you probably have. Uh, how the craftsman skills work. It's just, there's a huge, long, um, I'll call it a grind. I don't necessarily mean that as a negative thing. But as you play, you earn these Abstergo points, and you can spend them on customization. But you can also spend them unlocking new skills and making – it's a Call of Duty system Uh, where you're queuing up a couple of uh, basic attacks, and then you have perks, and you even have killstreak bonuses and death bonuses. And the end game for that is you can basically get pro versions of these skills and attacks, uh, uh, and they call that crafting, which is a little misleading. Uh, okay, so you, yeah. you can upgrade the skills that you've unlocked. So, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah it's a little weird. It's a touch misleading. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you can buy all these different skills, build your own custom skill sets. That's very Call of Duty-ish. Um, however, uh, the different skills you can buy are, are pretty interesting, you know, different... You start with some basic sets, like you can throw coins on the ground, which causes just an uproar uh, to throw in money. Uh, and uh, what are some of the other ones? You get a trip mine, which is like a smoke bomb that will stun people, um, but etc. Um, One of the things that I like that they do, McMaster, is that they give you two default sets. When you first start playing, you're level zero, you don't have any Abstergo points. Right. Uh, and it's going to be a long time. It's not like... 
you're going to get to level 10 and you're going to have stuff way better than the default kits. Uh, no. You know, you can, one of the first things I unlocked was a new ability slot where I can slot my own things, but I find that, oh, I don't like this as much as the stuff I've already got to play with. Yeah, um, yeah me too. <laughs> so they don't, the, this whole like long drawn out grind system doesn't feel like you, it doesn't start you crippled. It doesn't make you play with a pistol or a crappy default loadout. Um, and furthermore, uh, this seems like um, you know you can buy Abstergo points with real world money, but I sort of feel like since most of the actual in game functional useful stuff is gated by your level, uh, it seems like that's mainly for the cosmetic stuff. Like I yeah. feel like this is not an example of us being nickel and dimed for real world trans money. Uh, for stuff that should be unlocked in game, it's not like an EA situation. I feel like this is a great example of fair, uh, you, you know, asking for people to pay real world money for fair stuff because you're so invested in a character, you want to buy for her the eyeshadow or the red dress, or you want to get the gold hammer for the blacksmith guy. Like it's a sort of, it's like it reminds me of skins in League of Legends. Yeah, sure, yeah. and and that's the thing, really, is that. Since it's gated, there is zero point purchase points to buy skills, and uh, I'm fond of that because I, I also hate when people can purchase like a leg up for absolutely no reason in a game. It just absolutely ruins it. Well, there's plenty of reason. It's so the developer can make money. Yeah, but yeah, well, for for no good gameplay reason. We'll put it that way. Uh, yeah, it does just seem like a, Ubisoft is not the bad guy here. Like they're not. They're they're doing a perfectly reasonable uh, real world money. Uh, cash in here. I, I sort of uh, feel I mean, like, yeah. and it's a it's a good game. It's a very good game. Well, we asked you. You haven't mentioned uh, yet what I think is my favorite new feature. And when Rob asks, you know, are people buying this for the multiplayer? I sure. think you know they they should because of this one new feature, which was yep. not in the last two Assassin's Creed. So, Master. Stop burying the lead. Tell All us right. what's the really cool new part in multiplayer Assassin's Creed Three. Well, there's two though. Uh, ah. I'll uh, you know, and we touched on we played some last night. Was the the do domination is is kind of a newer thing for them. Uh, well, you played. I got disconnected and had to sit and listen oh, that's to right. guys play. It sounded sounded like a lot of fun. That was great. Um, yeah, you weren't there. It was, well, everything went smooth. Uh, no, we, <laughs> we uh, oh no, they have done like these team based modes now where you're defending or. Um, uh, defending, etc. You, yeah, you were there for manhunt mode, though, but you were on the other team, so we got to kill you over and over again. That was awesome. Shut up. To be fair, though, there were some of these team-based modes in uh, Revelations, I think. So there's some new ones oh, here. Uh, but yeah. that whole idea of being with teams isn't necessarily new, but some of the specifics are new. But the really new thing, come on, McMaster, you're, you're teasing everyone now. All right, all right. The really new thing is there's sort of horde mode uh, that they've created called Wolfpack, which is I'm not horribly fond of the name. Uh, but uh, I will say that the mode itself is a really good sign. Wait a minute, horde mode? You mean like co-op? That's crazy talk. Yeah, it's uh, but but what they've done is they've taken the crowds and they've 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 picked out specific targets for you, and for each player in the game, it's it's one to four, so you can actually play it by yourself. Though I imagine it wouldn't be as much fun. Um, for each player in the game, there is a target. 
and you can go and uh, you get a lot more points for being patient, doing stealthy kills, for building up your little the, a little meter that builds up uh, that gives you like a better kill. Uh, the longer you follow someone or in a striking range, um, and yeah, you get points for combos as well. So if you coordinate all of these attacks with your friends and co-op partners and everything, you get. Uh, you'll get more out of it. Um, and the way it works is you have sequences, which, oh, wow, what a shock, but it's like waves uh, in, uh, in, like, horde mode. So you go through these, uh, you start at sequence one, and there's a certain amount of points required to hit sequence two. And you have a, you have a time limit, which is counting down. Every sequence gives you more time. So you uh, each kill, like I said, counts for a certain amount of points, depending on how, uh, how well it's done. Uh, and then uh, each, each sequence goes by, uh, more points are required, and it gets a lot more tricky. Uh, so basically, you, you have to end up coordinating a lot of these kills uh, with your partners to get the most out of it. So yeah, what, what Master, what, what, what you're describing uh, is, I, the way I would sort of express it is, uh, it's the tension between moving quickly and moving precisely, and you coordinate it with three other players. You know, when you're playing a cooperative shooter, we all want to be very good at the shooting. You know, we all want to aim well and get a good weapon going, and that's how you do a cooperative shooter. The way they do a cooperative Assassin's Creed multiplayer is everybody has to, you know, strike that balance between moving quickly and moving precisely, and I like that. And it, it moves quickly. You know, if you fail, no big deal. You start over, yeah. and you're you're. It's all about trying to get through each each map has 25 sequences or levels or waves yeah. called sequences, and it's all about how close you can get to 25. I I don't imagine ever getting to 25 anytime soon, uh, but it gives you experience point or abstergo points that you use to unlock skills. You can use your custom loadouts here. Um, and it's just an, it's 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 a great new feature that opens up this multiplayer for people who don't want to jump into a competitive environment and get killed 50 times before they figure out how to play. Because right. the Assassin's Creed multiplayer can be a little daunting when you first jump in there. It seems like oh this is a game about everyone killing me and I have no idea why I'm dying and I don't get any kills. <laughs> uh, it can be very daunting. But if you just jump in to the co-op, with, especially with people who you know and who you're chatting with, uh, it's a really great time, and it's it, it's just a unique selling point for this unique multiplayer. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a very entertaining. Um, and it, yeah, it really does go fast. Um, and it, it feels yeah, it feels uh, it's very satisfying. Doesn't doesn't uh, over overstay its welcome. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and the game itself is great. Um, so yeah, Assassin's Creed Three. All right. Okay. But just the multiplayer. Right, right. This time, though, I will say single player is <laughs> awesome. I think after playing the first, you know. Have you finished it yet? No, I'm in sequence ten now. So there's twelve, and I'm getting close, but I have not finished it yet. No. Robert, so you so no as Assassin's Creed fatigue. No the annual releases. Uh, I skipped Revelations uh, because I just I don't know I couldn't get into it. Um, I really liked Brotherhood, really liked uh, all the others. I just yeah had a problem with that one. Are, are you in with the Assassin's Creed uh, thing, Rob? Have you caught um, it? I hated the first one. Okay. Um, mostly because I was playing on PC and I couldn't actually figure out how to shut it down without Control Alt Delete. <laughs> um, oh, Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I 
thought Assassin's Creed 2 was great. I especially like climbing towers and jumping off into hay bales, which is a feature that Guild Wars 2 desperately needs when you go to the viewpoint. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, if yeah. you could do a swan dive, I mean, that would that would definitely improve the game. Um, well, you know, you, and, you say that, Rob. Have you found the diving board in Lion's Arch, by the way? I have. And, you know, I think there's a second one out in the normal world, too. And um, doesn't it have a diving once. animation, or does it? Or you just fall down? It had the goggles... Like it had swim goggles right, or diving right. goggles or something, but I never actually. I was in the middle of doing something else. It might have even been in in World v World. Okay. Um, but I was busy and and didn't try to actually take the jump. But I I have done it in um, in Lion's Arch. But yeah, they do need to give you a way to get down from those high points, like they do in uh, yeah. <laughs> in Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Um, big time. So you played so, two, and then did you I stop there? Did you move on? I skipped Brotherhood, and I have a copy of Revelations. Mm. Uh, because I want to see Istanbul, because I, I went there last year, and I'm really curious to see how the virtual version from 15-whatever uh, stacks up to the 2011 version. All right. Uh, so let me put it to you this way. What do Assassin's Creed Revelations and Taken 2 have in common? I'm not familiar with Taken 2, so I can't answer. All right, I guess I'm the only person on this podcast qualified to point out that in both that game and that movie, there is irresponsible behavior in Istanbul with grenades. Irresponsible. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Maggie Grace chucks grenades around modern-day Istanbul in Taken 2 in order to help uh, Liam Neeson um, basically echolocate his his location. (laughs) And and your Taylor... Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Ah, like what do that? What does it have in common with Assassin's Creed Revelations? There, there's an Istanbul scene, but right, I'm but they, to figure out if this they actually fits into that. Right, they don't use grenades irresponsibly, as far as I know. Ricky Tar does not chuck a grenade in Istanbul. Uh, he knows better, uh, I believe. Yeah. Yes, there there is disemboweling though in both Assassin's Creed Revelations and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Istanbul disemboweling. They have those in common. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so I think Revelation, so I was suffering extreme Assassin's Creed fatigue, and I think anybody who went from Brotherhood to Revelations feels the same way. Revelations just, especially if you've played Brotherhood, Revelations are just like so tired and me too, and just to cash in, and the extra grenade crafting stuff was just silly. But as somebody who was so over Assassin's Creed at that point, Three just has completely rejuvenated the series for me, and and I hear you know I, I hear you Rob saying that you're waiting to play Revelations. Part of me wants to say you know what, just take that to a GameStop and trade it in for a copy of Assassin's Creed Three. Just do not pass jail. No wait, do not pass go. What is it? Basically, just go. I was going to try to make a Monopoly analogy, but I'm so enthusiastic, I'm just going to skip it and say you should just go straight to Assassin's Creed Three. Fair um, enough. Yeah. I wish there was a game where we just played Desmond. Ugh, McMaster. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Once again, bring the room down. What are they with that? I, I you just, know, everybody hates it, and they keep just keep putting him in. I think they're hoping, hey, we're going to build up a groundswell of popular support for the character in the ultimate Assassin's Creed game. And they, they have these sequences in Assassin's Creed 3, you know, more fleshed out. And I, I say that, but they, they're, they're longer, more playable 
more gameplay-involved sequences involving Desmond in Assassin's Creed 3 that are every bit as bad as Desmond's sequences have always been. Like, every now and then you'll hit a major milestone between sequences, and you're like, oh, God, now i got to do this stupid Desmond bit. You know, oh, I've got to go climb around a skyscraper or or go kill some modern-day security guards. And it's just tedious and ridiculous. And uh, it's like being forced to, to occasionally play a bad game to make it in an intermission to make you reappreciate the good parts of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many of those I could make it through. Well, you know, fortunately, so you do have to play. You have to play through the story ones um, where he has to find. This isn't a spoiler, but you know that the the framing device is he's in the anima, and this time the anima is in some secret underground temple that they found. So as you're playing sequences, every now and then you have to open a new part of the temple, and that's mandatory. Yeah. However, when you open the new part of the temple, uh, actually, maybe that's not... No, the, 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 the opening of the temple, I, I take that back, is not mandatory. The bits where you find the keys to open the temple is mandatory. And once you find a key, you can climb around in this temple and open the next section. But before you do that, a character always says to you, Hey, Desmond, so we found the key. If you want, you can go put it in the lock or, you know what, you can just go straight to the anima if you want. Yeah. <laughs> they basically say, you know what, if you hate this part of the game, eh, skip it. Just go play the good part of the game. Uh, I'd really like to know how many people just skip it. Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is, have you been skipping it, McMaster, or have you been diligently putting um, the keys in the locks? I've been putting the keys in the locks because I have the feeling that I'm going to have to freaking eventually anyway. So if I spread the Desmond out a touch, it might not be so bad. <laughs> if I could just, like... Clobbered. I, you're worried, McMaster, you're going to get to the end of the game and they're going to say, oh, you know what? Before you do the final conflict, the final confrontation to reveal what happens, you need to go back and play all those parts you skipped. Uh-huh. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Or like, oh, because you didn't plug the power supplies in, they got stolen. You need to go steal them back again. I'm like, oh, no, no. Uh, I mean, I don't think they would do that, but you never know. See, I've been, doing, I've been doing those things diligently, and it, it's awful, too, because one of the things they do is they don't give you any sort of an interface. You don't get a map. You don't get a HUD. It's just a completely blank screen. When you're fighting, you don't get the indicators over the enemies. And I, don't, I don't know why they do that. I, well, because you're not in the anima, I guess, is the reason. It doesn't um, bother me so much, the non-indicators over the enemies, because I'm used to playing Batman and everything without the... Uh, like indicators on but yeah the the lack of like any sort of guidance to where the hell you're supposed to go is right. pretty irritating and that's the that's this part i miss like i don't the, the fighting is just so stupid and inconsequential uh and again it's because you're not in the anima so you're not going to have a hud but because you're supposed to jump around and climb around this big temple to figure out where you put the key in the lock and there's no guidance whatsoever there's no waypoint uh, it's, it's just so just like frustrating and annoying and busy work. But I've diligently done it just because I feel like, um, you know, I, I will eventually, I'm loving the game so much, but I'm, I'm taking so much time playing it, and I just love how much room it leaves me to breathe and just do stuff. Uh, I'm taking forever with this silly thing. Eventually, I, I will write a review, but in the review, I, I feel like I, I am compelled to know how utterly stupid this Desmond stuff turns out to be. So yeah, yeah. I, I get the key, and I'm like, well, I I should be a responsible reviewer. If I, you know, I know I want to talk about how stupid this Desmond stuff is. I feel like I should really find out. Uh, so, uh, and you know, I, the game to be said for the game too. It just has such a great Red Dead Redemption feel. I don't want you put in the time. Yeah, if you're going to copy an open world game, that's not a bad one to copy. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> 
I agree. Uh, did you, uh, Rob, didn't you play Red Dead Redemption with us when we were playing online? Uh, yes, I was the one who fell off the, um, the wa- fell off the wagon um, because I hit the <laughs> Y button instead of whatever button I was supposed to be hitting. So we were playing some Assassin's Creed uh, last night with a fella who posts as Pogue Mahone, a guy named Greg, mm-hmm. who's a, a good friend of the podcast and the forum, uh, and we all were waxing nostalgic about getting back into some Red Dead Redemption. And as soon as this uh, holiday glut of releases is over... Yeah. I would love to do some more Red Dead Redemption multiplayer. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. And the Undead Nightmare, which I, st- I have but haven't played yet. Yeah, yep. I haven't done much of it, so yeah, I can't wait to do that. All right, we're going to be hitting you up to help us with that then. Uh, that would be great. I, I always appreciate the push to do multiplayer. Uh, all right, so your game of the week, McMaster, is not Assassin's Creed 3, but Disc 2 of Assassin's, of Assassin's Creed 3. <laughs> right, yes. So, by the way, that annoys me. In, at least in Halo 4's defense... Uh, when you transition from single-player to multiplayer, it's a two-disc game, they don't make you put in a new disc. You oh, can, well, that's... You can, you can install all the stuff from uh, disc two. So in some ways, Halo 4, better than Assassin's Creed 3. And in other yeah, ways... Assassin's Creed not. 3 forces you to get up off the couch. It True. does, and it also forces me to do Desmond stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, well, good point. <laughs> oh, all right, so that leaves one game of the week that we have not revealed yet. Uh, Rob... Give us hints. Make us guess it, if you can. Oh, and also, uh, just a reminder, I will be asking you guys shortly, what would you put at the core of your curiosity? So remember, that, that question is coming up. So, okay, so your, your game of the week, Rob, give us hints. Um, it's almost more of a toy than it is a game. Hmm. And I'm, I don't think either of you have played it. Oh, well, uh, Minecraft. <laughs> Which does make it harder. No. No, I've played plenty of Minecraft. Uh, Dwarf Fortress. Oh, for God's sakes. I've played tons of that, too, Tom. Neither of us. Gears of War 2. Uh, 3. I mean. <laughs> More of a toy than a... Uh, oh, is it online? Is it online only? No. Oh. A single-player game. More of a toy. Um, is it an indie game? Uh, I believe so. It's. I think it's published by Sony, but it's, it's one of their little downloadables. Tokyo Jungle? Oh, the swan, the un- undrawn, the draw the swan thing. What's that silly? Nope, a little bit older than that. A bit older, published by Sony, more of a toy. Wipeout XL or HD? No. no. I don't know. Not Tokyo Jungle, older. Not oh, much oh, older, but I, older. I know, I know. Is that overkill? No, please. I got this one. I got this one. Oh. Rob Simmon. Simmons or Simmon? Simmon. Rob Simmon, your game of the week is Sony Home. Nope. <laughs> Darn. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a lot older than that. <laughs> uh, that. Those are words that you will probably never hear on this podcast. My game of the week is Sony Home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Rob. What? Uh, give us more hints. Can you, uh, like... Uh, it's it's one of the ones that came out it, where you buy it and it works on both PS3 and the Vita. Mm. What letter does it begin with? Uh, it begins with an S. And it's alliterative. It could still be so... Okay, so... Super, super, I don't know. I I may not know this game. Go ahead, I'm stumped. It's it's a music game. What? It's called Sound Shapes, which was one of the games that was sort of teased before the release of Vita. Um, And it's, it's nominally, it's a platformer, but really it's a music sequencer. I don't know if you're familiar with how those work. 
I'm not even sure I know what that is. What is it? So, so sequencer is basically um, it, an automated way to, to play music. Um, and it, it used to be something that you'd have on a synthesizer where you'd actually have switches um, and then translated to software where you have a timeline. So you're moving from left to right. And then the vertical position would indicate pitch. And so you, you essentially have a grid, say eight by eight or eight by sixteen. So you have you know an octave or so worth of, of pitch, and then a few measures of time. Mm-hmm. And as you move through the platformer and you hit the equivalent of coins, you actually turn on notes. Ooh! So you you go through the level, and it's sort of like Gish, um, where you've got like a sticky blob. Mm-hmm. And so you can roll over things, and, and there's, you know, any red object will kill you. Um, but you go, and each time you hit a, a coin or a spot, it'll add an extra note. So the objective in each level is basically to get every coin so you can fill, play the whole song. Um, and it's the platforming isn't super challenging, um, but... You know, you're you're interacting and and sort of building these this music up, right. um, and it's really relaxing, engaging, um, but really not much of a game because it's not like there's that much challenge, um, and it's got uh, Beck. There's a, apparently oh. a full album's worth of songs from Beck in it. Um, wow, that's a and huge it also has it has a full um, level editor, so you can make your own music um, by putting together the obstacles and the the coins or the the rewards to go through. Does it have any sort of support for uh, like sharing levels? Yeah, you can upload things. Um, and somebody there, there's a very short thread on QuickTime QT3, and somebody one of the other users whose name I forget unfortunately has has uploaded some levels. Uh, I haven't played enough to to try to download them yet. Um, but it's it's short. It's actually it seems to me like it would be the perfect airplane game. You know where. It's just super relaxing, and it doesn't require a ton of focus, um, but just is that really rewarding interactive feedback. Um, And one of the other things I really like about it is the collection is actually its own reward. It's not like you're collecting feathers in Assassin's Creed so you can get your (laughs) 1,000 gamer points. You're actually collecting the the trinkets to finish the song. Um, And you've got the immediate feedback leap. Yeah, to me. yeah, the immediate oral feedback. I mean, you can hear the effect of collecting the stuff. I like that. Exactly. And, um, and, and also, you know, real quick, Rob, uh, if you collect the feathers in Assassin's Creed 3, it's not for an achievement. You actually get an authentic Native American like outfit you can wear. So I just want to put that out there. Okay, that's that's. <laughs> the, the Assassin's Creed thing. games have come a long way. Is what I'm saying. So, uh, so you were going to say something else about uh, so the, the collection gives you that immediate feedback of hearing the sound. Right. It's also. Um, it feels in some ways a little bit like Rhythm Heaven, where it, the the obstacles and the, the things in the environment are also making music. So you can time your jumps to the beats in the songs mm-hmm. um, to, to avoid certain obstacles or, or deadly – they're not even really creatures, but like the deadly vines or laser blasts or whatever. Um, each album has a completely different art style. Oh. So the one that I'm in right now is um, done by the same people who did – uh, sword and sorcery for the iPad, the Super Whoa. Brothers game. Yeah, oh, and it's wow. got that pixel art thing. Um, I'm playing it on the Vita, uh, so it's got you know the really fantastic OLED display. Um, it's actually kind of sad that no nobody's buying Vitas because it's such a nice piece of hardware, um, but uh, probably doomed at this point. No, I uh, and really enjoying it. So, you know, I, I love games that take advantage of that that. Uh, 
you know, plenty of games use sound well, but games that fold in layers of sound as you play. And to hear you describe that, Rob, I was thinking of um, the way Flower would play different, basically musical tracks based on the colors of the pedals you would pick up as you were moving around. And it was a really subtle touch that you could probably play it and not even notice and just think that the music is building to a crescendo as you're playing, but it was all based on the colors of the pedals that you would pick up. Uh, Have you ever played Luminous? Yeah, yeah, wait, is that the Match 3 thing? It's the Tetris alike that came out yeah, with the first with PSP. PSP. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just Res. adore that game. And did that have a, a specific... I just remember really liking the, the aspect of it. Did that have a specific thing where the, the sound would change as you played? Exactly. Yes. So with that, it's actually every time you move your block. So for people who haven't played it, it's it's a very similar game to Tetris, but instead of having the different shapes, you have a, a block composed of four squares and two colors. Um, so each is either you know a, essentially black or white, but there's a bunch of different skins, so it could be any color. Um, so there's you know a solid block or you know a, a L-shaped block with one other. Um, or L colors plus one other um, colored square. Um, and then you build up, you just need to build up a four by four grid, and then there's a timeline that sweeps across the play field, and every time it finishes going across, ah, right. it everything that's a four by four. Um, but every time you move, rotate, or drop your block, it adds a beat, or adds a different noise on the beat. So it's always on the beat. So you're actually, there's a, a song playing in the background, but your motion is contributing to the song. Oh, you know, you mentioned that, Rob. So is it possible, because I mentioned the thing about Flower and how you might not even notice. I played a fair amount of Luminous. Is it possible that I played that and just didn't even catch that? Like, is it that subtle, or am I just that dense? Because I, I don't uh, think I knew that it did that. You might be that dense, because it's really, <laughs> it's the core part of the game. It's like Res. Res does the same thing. Well, but Rez, you want to hit things on beats. All I remember with Luminous is trying to line everything up before that bar moved across the screen. I guess I just right. wasn't paying enough attention to the sound, so I will I will freely grant I might be that dead. You, you should try checking it out again. No, um, no, I've got I've got Luminous, I've got Luminous too, and I, I you know I, I strongly feel those are one of the great reasons to have a PSP. But I just I guess I just didn't appreciate. I'm I'm really backwards too with like sound and music. Like I think I just didn't appreciate the interplay of music and the gameplay well i actually bought the vita to play the new version of luminous and i, I would have to say it's actually worth the price of the hardware for there, me wait there's a new version of luminous for the vita yes yep oh holy cats mcmaster what uh, uh can i borrow your vita yeah if i had one i you know, and i'm tempted by it just for that and like hot shots golf but i mean that's it's got to be a lot more than that well these the luminous and sound shapes are the only two games i've ever played on it so that you can tell wow. how much use I'm getting out of it, but wow. I, I yeah. cleared Luminous and and you know got to where I could loop the whole thing. So that was uh, uh, maybe a hundred hours. I don't know. Rob, when can I get Luminous and Sound Shapes for my uh, iPad? I don't know, but you I know you can get Sound Shapes for your PS3, so you could play it there. Yeah, my but, PS3 is dead. It doesn't help me. Oh, tragic. wow, really? Yeah, yeah. So I lost. I've mentioned this on the movie podcast recently because I have many Blu-rays that I would love to refer to, and uh, I don't have a Blu-ray player. It's my PS3. Dies. I, was, I was just thinking about the fact I've had mine since launch. Haven't had a single problem. Well, knock on wood, Master. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna check to see if Luminous is on the App Store because it would really be a good iPad game. Yeah, yeah. 
so well, another, it's on the 360. I mean, but... oh, jumped ship. How about that? Well, yeah, it's not as good. Yeah. Oh snap! Burned. <laughs> Uh, well, I also feel like that's a great thing for a handheld. I'm not sure I'd want to sit in front of, and and I, I don't. This is just me personally. I, I can appreciate it's probably a very cool game on the 360 on the PS3. I just think of that kind of thing as something I want to play on a handheld. You know, that kind it's, of. It's better on the handhelds. And that, I, I've that, actually. Go, go ahead. I have it on the PC and and PS3 and prefer the the PSP and Vita versions. When I boot up a little, uh, this little indie RTS called Euphoria, which I talked about on one of the podcasts earlier, which I really like, there's a little disclaimer, you know, where, where some games you'll have that epilepsy warning or something. When you boot up Euphoria, there's a little disclaimer, a little uh, uh, title card that says, hey, this is better with earphones. And, and I can totally imagine that about things like Luminous and, and probably Sound Shapes. Shapes or Scapes? What is it called? Shapes. shapes. Sound, sound Shapes. Yeah. And like it, is, like it that. is better with headphones. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, I want to mention also real quick, just because this game does not get enough love, uh, there was, uh, I think they're both in the 360. Oh, no, the first one was only on the Wii. And in the sequel, is it Loblob? Dublob? Deblob? Deblob. Deblob, yeah, Deblob 2. Deblob 2, uh, which is on the 360, uh, you know, people think of it as a game where uh, everything is white and your little blob picks up paint and you paint buildings and it's very cool. But one of the really cool things it did is each color of paint had a different instrument associated with it. So as you would mix colors, as you would paint things, it would fold in, you know, like the guitar was red and the piano was blue and a clarinet was yellow. Like it did this really cool soundscape along with the color. And, you know, you talking about sound shapes reminded me of that. Well, talking about being oblivious, I played all the way through to Blob 2 and did not notice the different yep. notes, the different textures that went with each each color. You're just as bad as me at Luminous. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Actually, one other thing I'd like to point out about De Blob 2 is that's a game where the cutscenes really are awesome. Yeah. You know, people getting pulled out of the interactivity, but the cutscenes in, in De Blob 2 are, are very much worth the playthrough. I, I just I'm a huge proponent of that game. I mean, I the, I think for for the cutscenes, just for the level design, for the the sound and the color, and just as a platforming game, uh, you know, the Wii version. In order to jump, you had to do this stupid thing where you, you shake the the stupid Wii mote. You know, once they broke out of that for Deblob Two, it just got so much better. Uh, yeah, I love Deblob Two. Um, and co-op multiplayer, by the way, McMaster. I need you to just follow along and always be the color yellow. Okay. So just just take my back. Whenever I need to color something yellow, I'll point at it, and you just go paint that thing yellow. Sounds great. Yeah. Jason, are you going to shoot him in the back one of the times that he gets you to do the scut work? <laughs> oh yeah. It just yeah. seems like you're going to snap one of these oh, days. Yeah. Well, you know, he he says all this stuff, but we all know who does the you know the actual elite things when we're playing games. Also, Rob, you, you just got to learn at some point you just can't have friendly fire on with McMaster around. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I'll kill you. Uh, I'll kill you dead. But, uh, but but you know, I mean, I also it, it's all right. I let Tom talk because uh, yeah, that's uh, what but, he's got. McMaster, one thing I've been meaning to ask you for a while. So, are, are you any relation to Master Chief? I am. I wondered about that. All right, he's my cousin. <laughs> I know him as Rick. You guys know him as Master Chief. I know him as Rick Chief. So by the See, way, I was thinking he would be your your great grandson. No, he's my cousin. So, and you just lost all credibility. All Halo fans send angry email to jason.mcmaster at gmail.com to point out that Master Chief's first name is John. Everybody knows it's John Master Chief, yeah. not Rick Master Chief. Please send it to jason.mcmaster at gmail. Please. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so there's a, a nice spread of games of the week. Thank you, uh, Rob, for coming in with with a cool little indie thing that I didn't know the first thing about, and that that uh, thank you again for bringing up something that I can't play. Jerk. Sorry. Is it on the PSP? Because then I could play it. I think it's only on the the current gen platforms. Ugh. So there there are very few things coming out for the PSP. Uh, is it Atlas or NIS or oh Ask? Sis or Axis. Axis, yeah. yeah. They're the ones that did that Capcom stuff for a while, aren't didn't they? Like the I thought they did the uh Strider or whatever it was. Well, they the... just released a game called Ragnarok Tactics, which is on the PS three PSP, uh the non Vita thing. You can play it on the Vita or Vita or whatever as well, but it also works on the PSP. It's apparently uh and I've heard some good things about it, this kind of really cool tactical srpg monster huntery kind of jrpg thing uh i know i know lots of vague things about it not a lot of specifics but it's a psp release uh and so what do you think of that sony Somebody yeah. still supporting your uh, your old system i'm sure they're grateful <laughs> yeah um oh you know and just as another note uh the towns uh just got released through steam greenlight today so if you do not own the game Towns, which is a graphical sort of door fortressy kind of game, a little different, you build a town over a dungeon to attract different heroes and stuff and all that. But uh, it got released on Steam Greenlight today, and it was $12 right now, and it's really cool. Good for them, because unlike Game of Dwarves, which uh, I think wasn't quite true to what makes Dwarf Fortress very good, and McMaster, you've talked about this before, Towns seems like a, a, a true sort of successor to what Dwarf Fortress is trying to do. Right, it's like that, and there's another one that's really interesting called Nemoria, but Towns has its... Uh, Nemoria is more of just like a direct Dwarf Fortress kind of alike. Uh, Towns has like a completely different feel to it and uh, kind of doing their own thing, but they have a, a lot in common with uh, the level of building and detail. That you so, McMaster, I have a dumb question. So when you say it's on Steam Greenlight, is it still an alpha or it's a... it's a comp- Yeah, it's still the alpha of the game, but it, you know, it'll be constantly uh, a third version of the alpha, so we're getting close to the beta. Uh, but it gets updated uh, basically a lot, is what I'm saying. I you know I just I can't, who's who's got time to play an alpha of something? I mean, good well, lord, um, me. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, I mean, the thing is, like, if you want to support these guys, buy it now, and you know, you, and and feel free to just hang fire until it's done. That's kind of where I sit with these things. Is I, I, I love that the alphas are available. You can sort of go ahead and support them now, but I just feel like. Hey guys, finish your game. I can't wait to try it, but I'm going to wait for it to be finished. It's uh, but it's for it being an alpha, I will say it runs really well. Right. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's definitely uh, worth a few bucks. So I also feel this way about. Has either of you guys tried a game called Drox Operative from uh, uh, Soldak Entertainment? They did Din's Curse. Uh, I keep wanting to, but I keep going. Uh, I got so much to play right now, and that'll still be around later. Well, that's the yep. thing. Is I'm, I'm psyched about that being finished. It's been in beta, and I hear great things about how feature complete it feels. And people are like, yeah, you should try it now. And then a week later, Stephen Peeler, the developer, is like, hey, we just added in bounty hunters. Or, hey, there's a new diplomacy system. Or, hey, we've reworked the, the resource model. Uh, you, you know, it seems very much it might be playable now, but I, I sort of want to let him put in all that cool stuff. And then when it all gets tied together and the bow is on top, then I'll open the package and dive into it. Yeah. So 
No, yeah, and I can understand that. I, I guess I'm just so fascinated with the development process and a lot of these indies that I get. Uh, I'm always interested in. All right, so McMaster, I need you to play Drox Operative for me and let me know how that is. All right. Yeah, actually, I, I keep thinking about it. Uh, all right, so now you guys have had enough time to think about it. Speaking of thinking about it, so let's say that you made a game like Peter Molyneux's Curiosity, not even a game, a social experiment. People have to spend billions of man hours chipping away at it. Only one person gets the reward in the center. I'll go first. I want to know what you guys would each put in the middle of uh, of your curiosity. Uh, and before we do this, uh, Rob, thank you so much for, for hanging out today. I appreciated you uh, taking a little time out from staring at pictures of Hurricane Sandy. Uh, My pleasure. Running it. So, all right. So I'll go first, and then you guys, uh, and we'll be curious what we have. So if I were to put something in the center of curiosity, it would be an exclusive black leather corset that Lady Maverick can wear in Assassin's Creed 3. McMaster, what are you in the middle? It's not funny, McMaster. It's only one person going to get that. You don't understand. Only one person gets that. So you're playing Assassin's Creed 3. Lady Maverick kills you. She's got on the black leather corset. Nobody else gets that, you see. Only one person. So, uh, McMaster, what do you got? What are you going to put in the middle of your curiosity? All right. I mean, to be fair, I'm kind of borrowing this from something, but I don't believe there's any more appropriate thing to have there. Uh, there's a South Park episode many years ago during the Guitar Hero phase where uh, the kids get signed to an agent in true South Park style and, you know, they play acoustic, etc. You know, so it's just clickety-clackety. But the whole point is they're trying to beat a million points. And when they do beat a million points, a uh, big announcement comes up and goes, You are fags! And then at the end of the game, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not homophobic. I'm not trying to support that. But it just seems like the perfect thing to have. In the center is just a giant announcement. Uh, I was going to say, if you're going to borrow from Matt Stone and Trey Parker, that's an awesome way to do it. Well played. That was a a great episode. That's a great one. The kid playing acoustic has always killed me. Yep. All right. And so, Rob, you're going to play us out with this. Let's say you've put together this grand social experiment. Millions and billions of man hours. Only one person gets the prize. What will it be? A treasure map. And what happens when somebody follows that treasure map? You've just, wait a minute, you've just put a little baby nesting doll that has to open up one more piece in a nesting doll. Where does the treasure map go? That's probably where uh, it would be. I don't know, but I, I'm not going to tell you. You have to follow the treasure map. Oh, uh, you are so, you're worse than Peter Molyneux. <laughs> Maybe. We don't know what's in there yet. <laughs> That's true. We'll find out. Yeah. All right, so uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We will see everyone next week. Uh, in the meantime, uh, join us with a little Assassin's Creed 3, a little Sound Shape, a little, uh, uh, what was my game of the week? Oh, Need for Speed Most Wanted. Uh, you can uh, support us on Quarter to Three by liking us on, no, I screwed that up, rating us on iTunes. Um, and uh, we have a, a donate button on the front page of Quarter to Three. We always appreciate that. And if you're doing any Christmas shopping, Please avail yourselves of our Amazon.com search box. We appreciate that as well. And we will see everyone here next week. Good night.